Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On a cold, clear March night in 1427 AD, Korean royal astrologers watching the night sky noticed something strange. As the constellation Scorpius began to rise in the sky, they saw something they had never seen before. Just between the third and fourth star in Scorpius' tail, there was a bright, shimmering light. A new star. The astrologers were mesmerized. This was the 15th century, so a new star just appearing in the sky is a big deal. These astrologers noted the star's exact position, and recorded as much detail as they could about its brightness and color. Each night, they observed the new star until two weeks later, it faded out of view. At the time, and since these were astrologers, not astronomers, the Koreans gleaned a lot of cultural significance from this temporary new star. But they couldn't explain the actual science behind what had caused this phenomenon. In fact, it took nearly six hundred years before we were able to say for certain what caused this mysterious temporary light. And we were only able to solve it thanks to mankind's centuries-long obsession with staring at the stars. This is Science Solved It, and today's episode, An Ancient Star Appears. Welcome to Science Solved It, Motherboard show about the greatest mysteries that were solved by science. I'm Kaylee Rogers. In order to understand just how remarkable this event would have been in 1437, it helps to have an idea of what people were trying to do when they stared up at the sky five centuries ago and what tools they had to do it. Astronomy back then was not at all like it was today. I mean, today it's all about the uh, telescope. This is Costa Solar. I'm an astrophysics student and uh, I also study marine science at UC Berkeley. I am also a researcher here and my job is uh, to use a robotic telescope to find new supernovas in other galaxies. Costas is not a history student. 
but he told me he loves learning more about the history of astrophysics because it helps him make sense about the work he does today. When I learn about astronomy, I, 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 I'm not as good at math as you would hope an astrophysicist to be. Um, I, I think I learn better when I'm told a story. Usually I, I, it'll be difficult for me to care if I don't have a good story surrounding it. But astronomy is full of really good stories. Costas told me that he thought the story of this ancient star was an especially good one. The telescope wasn't invented until the early 1600s, and there were limited instruments available to the Koreans at that time. Back then, it was pretty much your eyes and maybe an astrolabe to keep track of the inclination of stars. Astrolabes are these really beautiful, intricate tools used in ancient astronomy to figure out the inclination of stars. They're these large circular plates, often gold or bronze in color, with several intersecting circles and dials laid on them. It looks a bit like the inside of a clock. It's, it's basically like a protractor, only it's a circle. And you kind of hang it in front of your eye, and then you adjust these needles to... It, it's not very fun, but you try to align the needles in it with the position of a star. But aside from the astrolabe, astronomers at the time mostly relied on their naked eyes to take in everything they saw in the night sky and carefully note any changes. I imagine it'd be cold. The oldest surviving astronomical observatory in the world is in Korea, and that's just a, a brick tower. And basically what you do is sleep all day, wake up, go to your tower, climb the stairs, and just hang out on top and uh, look at the stars and try to write down as much as you can. And hopefully you'll be able to figure something out. Another important difference is that at that time, astronomy and astrology, so using the stars to make predictions, the zodiac, star signs, horoscopes, all that jazz, they were really one and the same. Royal staff were tasked with observing the sky in order to write horoscopes, but their observations also ended up providing our earliest records of astronomical events. Yeah, well, I mean, astrology and astronomy, they were really the same thing. I mean, you know, they kind of both at their cores do have the same goal in mind, which is to use the stars to help predict what's going to happen on Earth. And, you know, until we actually were able to develop a, a working model of the solar system or the, the universe eventually, which didn't happen until really recently, there really wasn't a way to differentiate between the two. It was, it was really just, let's look at the stars and uh, hopefully they tell us nice things. Part of the reason this particular event caught the astrologers' eyes and what later made it possible to figure out what they had seen, was its location. As I mentioned, this new star appeared in the constellation Scorpius, the Scorpion. If it had occurred in a random, dark corner of the sky, it might have gone unnoticed. But because they were looking for information for horoscopes, watching the constellations was a must. The fact that it was in Scorpius is also especially important because this is part of the zodiacal band, so it's where the planets are. If this had been anywhere else in the sky, even within the various Chinese 
houses or the Korean constellation structures, it, it wouldn't have had quite the same visibility. That's Steve Shore. Professor of Astrophysics, Department of Physics, University of Pisa. Steve said that we sometimes find it hard to imagine how we could notice a new star in the sky, especially for those of us who live in big cities with light pollution, where even a glimmer in the sky is faint at best. But these astrologers were looking at the sky every single night. And when you do that, you notice even subtle changes. You don't realize how obvious changes are when you get sort of acquainted with the sky and then suddenly out of nowhere something, the brightness of Polaris appears where it shouldn't be. You kind of notice it after a while. You just get accustomed to the environment and the Chinese, the Koreans, the Islamic astronomers all had reason for looking at the sky, largely for astrological purposes, but this was something that was the, uh, the world beyond and the fact that they could keep track of it was, was actually important. It had social, political, religious significance, and um, it was part of their lives. But what exactly had they observed? And can we know for sure that what they thought they saw actually happened? When we come back from the break, I talk to the astrophysicist who actually solved the mystery. And we'll learn more about the mind-blowing astronomical event that caused a new star to appear so many years ago. Hey guys, if you like our show, you might also want to check out Science Versus, a podcast from Gimlet Media that takes on fads, trends, and the opinionated mob. Science Versus dissects what's fact, what's not, and what's somewhere in between, like their recent episode on serial killers. Then he used her head for a dartboard, but he wasn't done killing. You never turn your back on a serial killer. That's Science Versus, hosted by Australian science journalist Wendy Zuckerman. Science VS. Welcome back. So, some sleepy, cold, ancient Korean astrologers saw a star appear out of nowhere one night. They saw it again every night for two weeks, and then it faded out of view. What the heck were they actually seeing? Astrophysicists had an educated guess, but they couldn't prove it. And they spent decades trying to unravel exactly where it was that the Koreans were looking. To find out more, I went to the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. And I met with the museum's curator of astrophysics, Michael Shara. Michael was one of the scientists who eventually figured out what the Koreans had seen. But it was no easy feat. The Korean record said that it was, again, between the third and fourth star in a particular asterism or group of stars. Well, to tell us that it was between the third and fourth star in this constellation is very specific But, of course, you have to know which are the third and fourth stars. And the records from that time are not foolproof. There were other maps of constellations from that time that numbered the stars. So modern-day scientists relied on those 
to figure out which stars in Scorpius were the third and fourth. But every time they looked there, they couldn't find any evidence of what the ancient astrologers had seen. And it led to a pair of stars that we looked between over and over again with a wide variety of telescopes for more than 25 years with no success. And finally, I and my colleagues threw up our hands in disgust and said, who knows what they were drinking that night? Maybe the record is fallacious, etc., etc. And we got on and we did other things for many, many years. It wasn't until 2017, when a cache of astronomical images were digitized, that Michael considered taking another crack at it. With a new trove of observations to look through, and the advantage of being able to have a computer dig through it for you, Michael decided he would look one last time. I did an automated search of what was going on between those two stars, and again, nothing. Still nothing. Exasperated, Michael decided at this point it couldn't hurt to try looking at some of the other stars in the constellation, in case what we thought were the third and fourth star was different than what 15th century Korean astrologers considered the third and fourth star. So he ran the same search, looking between one star above and one star below the original pair. And... In about three minutes, I found it. All of the evidence that what the ancient astrologers saw really happened was in our records the whole time. But we missed it for 600 years because we weren't looking in the right place. Once Michael identified the new star, he was able to confirm what astrophysicists had long hypothesized. The sudden, bright new star that appeared, then vanished two weeks later, was a very special astronomical event. A nova explosion. This was our best guess for decades, based on the Korean record. The fact that this was a new star, that it didn't have a bushy tail, means it wasn't a comet. That it didn't move, means it wasn't a comet. And that it was seen only for 14 days, means that it couldn't have been a supernova. The only other transient stellar event that gets bright enough to be seen with the naked eye is a nova. And this was the best located nova in all of antiquity, which astronomers have been hunting for for over a century without success. So that's pretty cool. But I'm sure a lot of you are wondering the same thing I was when I heard this story. What the heck is a nova? That was the whole reason I called Steve, the astrophysicist in Pisa. I wanted Steve to explain in the most basic terms what exactly a nova explosion is. And bless him, he tried. Tell me a little bit more about these these binary systems and, and try to explain it like I'm five years old. How about two years old? Now, the orbital period of Earth around the sun of about a year means that the distance in radii between the Earth and the sun is like 300 times the size of the sun. The remnant core of what has otherwise gotten stripped by the evolution of the star in a close binary system. That's what's called the cataclysmic variable. Stelle novae, been known since the time of Hipparchus. If you reach a temperature of the order of uh, 
tenth of a gigakelvin. Gigakelvin. Okay, so apparently Steve was a really bright two-year-old. But after listening to his explanation a few more times, and Michael's, and Costas's, and reading a ton, I actually do understand it. Thanks, guys. But I'm going to go ahead and put it in my own terms, as if you were actually five years old. <clears throat> Hi, everybody! So imagine two big stars, like the sun. These two stars are best friends, so they spend all their time together. They're called binary stars. Sometimes, though, one of the friends starts to be a bit of a bully, and he steals his friend's toys. This bully friend keeps stealing and stealing, taking all of his little friend's favorite toys. But he gets too greedy, and after a very long time, he can't carry all of his little star friend's toys anymore. So he throws all of the toys as hard as he can away from him into space. I know what happens when a white dwarf star in a binary system sucks up so much gas from its companion star that it explodes and casts off all of that matter into surrounding space. Here's Costas with some more details. Once that happens for a while, it, it can take probably 100,000 years. Once that happens, it will have stripped the red giant of its atmosphere. Uh, that atmosphere is probably made of hydrogen. Once enough hydrogen builds up and piles up on the surface of the white dwarf, the hydrogen atoms will be so close together that they'll actually fuse together. And that is the same reaction that we use, unfortunately, to make hydrogen bombs. All it takes is uh, two atoms get a little too close to each other. They'll hit each other, they'll release energy, and that radiation that they release will either go out to space and we'll see it as the nova, or it will hit neighboring atoms, cause them to fuse, and the process will happen over and over again, all over the surface of the star. Eventually it'll spread out over the surface of the uh, white dwarf. And that chain reaction causes the white dwarf to burn almost a hundred times brighter than it was originally. And that is the nova we see. The nova seen in ancient Korea is the earliest known record of a nova explosion. And our understanding of it is helping us learn more about these massive explosions, how they form, and what happens after the fact. See, the difference between a nova and a supernova is that in a supernova, the explosion destroys the star itself. And one question we still don't know the answer to is whether novae eventually go on to become supernovae. Here's Steve again. We still don't, but the, these very long-time observations are essential for understanding that. Being able to see one of these systems a couple of hundred or even four or five hundred years later, when you know that all of the intermediate instabilities have settled down, when the explosion is so long ago that we theoretically expect that we're seeing the system as it will be up until the next explosion. This is critical. It took 600 years, but we finally answered the questions that those Korean astrologers asked when they stared up at the sky that night and wondered, 
What the heck is that? And unraveling this mystery is helping scientists to continue learning more about the cosmic happenings of our universe. It's given us more pieces to the puzzle. And it made me realize that, at the end of the day, the work of ancient astrologers and the work of modern-day astronomers isn't actually so different. It's all part of this long history of humans staring up at the stars and trying to make sense of it. It's something Michael, Steve, and Costas are all still doing. We still kind of have the same job. We just have way more accurate toys, I guess. We have telescopes, oh my god, that changed everything. I mean, we have telescopes now that can look to the universe's horizon in perfect focus. And they do it from outer space. I mean, you know, I, that's that probably would have been considered magic, hardcore magic. <laughs> It's all hardcore magic to me. Science Solved It is a production of Vice Media and Motherboard. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else where you get podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at Science Solved It. This episode was produced and edited by Sophie Cases, with production assistance by Carola Hopes. Our theme music is by Reximus. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Next time on Science Solved It. I was lucky enough to be there at the time of year where they're very active and saw them crawl under the the water. And I, I thought it was just the craziest and most interesting thing I'd ever seen. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.